But today, we finish off our series, Fresh Start. This entire series, we have been saying, it's time for something new. And the reason that we've been saying that is because there's a couple of things that we believe to be true about our lives here on earth. We believe that one of the things that are made possible for us as a result of the death and resurrection of Jesus is that we can have a new life here on earth, that we can be born the first time from our mothers and we're born and brought into the world, but almost spiritually, there's this way where we can be born again. And so we attach this phrase where the old things kind of stay old and, and the new things are laid out before us. We believe that this life is lived within the kingdom of God, a type of life, a kind of life, a way of life that we can enter into and participate in while still on this earth. For us, perhaps living in the particular uh, county and state and country that we all live in, but this is a kingdom of God that spans the whole world, and everyone is invited in. And so we're going to be talking, we have been talking about what it looks like to experience this life to the full that Jesus talks about. In John chapter 10, verse 10, Jesus says, I have come so that they could have life and have it to the full. And we've been talking about that over these last four weeks. There's a verse in scripture that sums all of this up. It's from 2 Corinthians. I'd love to read it again. It says, those who are in Christ are a new creation. The old is gone and the new is here. We believe that this is made possible for us here on earth, and the only thing really that would be required of us is to make a decision, because we have been given a freedom to decide um, where we would like to invest our time and our money, and the ways in which we would like to think, and the people and the things that we would wish to follow. And so we believe that the way to step into the kingdom of God, the way for these new things to really be made new in our lives is just making a decision to say, I understand perhaps some of the the habits and the things and the kind of the trajectory that I put myself on before, but I'm making a decision to turn away from that and I'm going to step into a new way of living. And that's what this series has been all about is, is what does that new way of living look like? And so what we've done as a church is we've been talking about our core values here at Reachway. We have three of them. And in the second week of our series, we talked about the first core value, if that makes sense. And, and the core value is everyone matters. It is something that we firmly believe here at Reachway Church that there's not a person on this planet that doesn't matter to God and that shouldn't matter to the church. Uh, we believe that everyone matters. And so we attach some language to this value. And so I'd like to bring it up on the screen. And if, if you would read this with me, we believe that God created everyone and loves us all with an equal love. We will live out the truth that everyone has a purpose, everyone can grow, and everyone can contribute. We believe that everyone matters. And that's what it's all about. And so we've been talking about living life to the full, this life that Jesus would want us to live. And what we talk about right from the beginning is that in order to step into this full life where the new really starts getting unfolded for us, where purpose begins to get ignited and passions start getting ignited, is that we enter into the world believing that every single person out there matters. And so there's certain ways that we live that out, and so we explored that in the second week of this series. 
Last week, we talked about our second core value, and that core value is all in. Last week, we talked about going all in with whatever you have, and we looked at a story in Scripture of Jesus feeding the 5,000, which we talked about as actually people, 10,000 or 15,000 people getting fed, and we looked at how the people of that story perhaps went in with what they had. It wasn't a whole lot, but they went in with what they had, and that resulted in this large mass of people actually getting fed. And so I'd like to bring up on the screen our second core value, and if you would read this with me. We believe that God has given us all something to offer, even if it doesn't seem like a lot. We will generously give our time and our resources to help others. We're going to go all in with what we have, even if it doesn't seem like a lot, even if what we can offer is not the thing that can make the whole problem or issue or conflict go away. We still believe that there is room for us and that there is a decision for us to make going all in with what we have so that we can start seeing some restoration come about. And I hope that this has been a great series for you. It's kind of been the first official series since Reachway Church has been an official church. And, and so I hope that perhaps we look back on this series as a significant chapter in the life of Reachway. And, and maybe it's been a significant chapter in your life as well, the last couple of weeks or so. Um, we all kind of come at this from different perspectives. And so who knows where we're all at. But um, hopefully this has been meaningful for you. I hope that you have been uh, perhaps taking a little bit seriously, whatever that looks like, this, this tagline we've been attaching to the series, it's time for something new. We've been talking about this for the last month, about how we believe that this is something that every person who is following Jesus should kind of wake up to is, hey, I'm ready for the new thing to happen today. I believe that God is actively at work in my life. I believe that he's actively at work in the world around me making things new because this is what he promises. And so hopefully we've been taking that phrase seriously. It's time for something new. And I hope that maybe a couple of us have maybe rekindled what it would look like for us to live life to the fullest, for us to live life to the full that, that Jesus would have us do. But I kind of want to talk about some of the maybe not so roses and butterflies version of living life to the fullest. It can be very easy for us to say that, you know, you, you make this decision to follow Jesus, you, you live life to the fullest, you live in such a way where everyone matters, you go on with what you have, and, and boy, everything just falls into place perfectly. And if you've been walking with the Lord for, for any amount of time, it probably doesn't go like that. I want to be super clear here. That doesn't mean that God is bad, right? It just means that life is rough. And life happens to be rough for, for us, all of us at different seasons and different times. And in this new life that we experience, perhaps right after we make this decision for the very first time in our lives to follow Christ, we're, we're given this new life, we're, we're born again, and, and we enter into this new way of living. But if you've been at this for a while, uh, personally, I've been at this since 2005. Um, if you've been at this for a while, then, then you may experience some of the, uh, if we could use the word, draining parts. Because once again, 
living life to the fullest means that we encounter a full spectrum of life. Life to the full doesn't just mean that we're always happy. It means that we're also given the heart of Christ to love as Jesus would love. And we read about a Jesus in Scripture that actually weeps when, their friend, when his friend dies and seeks retreat when another one of his friends dies. And so experiencing life to the full is, at times, experiencing sorrow. And maybe in your new life, you didn't once have a, have a heart of compassion for perhaps a certain grouping of people, or you just weren't at all caught up with the reality of life in another country or life in another neighborhood or, or life in another way of living. And so perhaps the new life also opens up the messiness of life, where you start having compassion like you never had before, where you start having eyes like you never had before. So you're kind of going through these ebbs and flows, and all of a sudden we get to this place where the life lived to the full is a life of depth featuring consistent moments of learning and breakthrough. When we experience new life, it it doesn't mean that we're kind of born again, but then things just kind of stay the same. There's nothing new about that, right? There's nothing new about kind of entering in, and then, well, life's just the same as it's always been. No, 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 no. I think, I find, I have found that a full life is full of depth. And when we continue to grow, and when there continues to be depth to our lives, that we have constant and consistent moments of learning and breakthrough. So, so let's assume that someone is really bought into this life to the full stuff. Let's assume that someone is really, really, really trying to believe that everyone matters and that they're going all in with whatever they have. And they come to a point in their lives where they realize that there was something better for them. And so they began to learn and they began to grow and they began to perhaps read books they never thought they would or talk about scripture more than they ever thought that they would and ask more questions that they ever thought that they would about this new life that they're entering into. They get to know and learn and believe that everyone matters. And so for the very first time, they're having to rethink different perspectives around the issues of justice, equality, having to deal with differences and how, how much of us are different, right? We're all different. Um, having to deal with those things in ways that you perhaps didn't deal with before. Believing that everyone matters, and so you want to go all in with what you have, because if everyone matters, then there's that many more problems that could be addressed. There's, there's that many more injustices that are happening around me. There's that many more opportunities for me to go all in. And then you realize there's, there's always something that I could provide. There's always something that I could give. And on top of this, <laughs> we're human, so we're bound to miss the mark now and again. We're bound to perhaps come up short. And on top of that, we are experiencing a full life, which means full emotion, which means full spectrum. We're not lukewarm anymore. But we're sometimes hot. We're on fire, feeling good. And sometimes we're bone cold because life's just coming at us. And so we get to this point where there's something worth admitting, that living a full life can be tiring at times. It's something worth bringing up because there's no way that we can have a church that cares about its city 
a city where there is brokenness and say that it all just automatically gets better. We can't, that, that's not being faithful. It's not being faithful. That's not presenting the full story of what it means to, to be human and follow Christ. Because if Jesus himself experienced suffering on earth, then how are we absolved from that? So, we dive into what we're going to be talking about today. Um, we're actually going to be in Psalm 23. And if you've been going to church for a while, or if you've probably been to two funerals, at least one of them had Psalm 23 read at it. And uh, nothing wrong with that at all. It's, I, I say that to say this is one of the most well-known passages of Scripture that exist in the Bible. And let's talk about it today, shall we? So if you have your Bibles with you, I'd invite you to turn to Psalm 23. If you don't, there's a Bible by your feet or one of the bottoms of one of the chairs in front of you. There's some Bibles sitting there if you'd like to follow along. We're going to be on page 859, 859. Uh, the Psalms are generally referred to the book in the Bible that's kind of in the middle, right? And so young, when we're young in Sunday school, our, our Sunday school teachers teach us, you find your Bible, you want to find the Psalms, find the middle and open it up, and you might have to flip a few pages here or there, but you'll find it. The Psalms themselves are a compilation of uh, these paragraphs all throughout. Some of those paragraphs are lyrics to a song or a hymn. Uh, some of them are poems. Some of them, if we go back to the original author and figure out why they were written and when they were written, a lot of these psalms are actually what we would call journal entries or diary entries or something like that. And we're actually going to look at one of those today. Psalm 23 is one of the most well-known passages amongst Christians, and it's read at funerals and memorials and seen in paintings, and, and this is what I experience when I, when I hear Psalm 23, is that Psalm 23 is often read to the tired, and, and Psalm 23 is often read to uh, the sorrowful or the weary. And the reason that Psalm 23 is read is to provide hope. And there is absolutely nothing wrong with that. But I would say this. We just talked about how living life to the full can perhaps be down here instead of up here, right? So, so Psalm 23 would be one for us to cling to. A lot of us memorize it in church sometimes. and So I want to talk about Psalm 23 today. Now, when we approach a text, and we did a little bit of this interpretive work last week, when we approach a text, it's often important for us as the readers to look at who wrote it and when they wrote it. Because it's one thing to read words that were originally written or spoken thousands of years ago, but it's a whole other thing to approach the context. You might be familiar with that word, the context around a passage once we can consider things like who wrote this and when did they write it, a passage sometimes can come to life in ways that we never could have imagined. And that's actually the work of a lot of preachers, is presenting a word in such a way to where we actually get below the surface and figure out what is actually going on. So, who wrote this? A guy named David, and you might know that. Um, you might know him better as King David, now, we're talking about the same David who slayed Goliath. So if you're familiar with the story of David and Goliath, this is the same David. And we actually pick up with David's storyline at that event 
where before he's a shepherd boy, he's a youngin, and uh, compared to his, his brothers and those that he runs with, he's perhaps the smallest of stature. But he has this ambition within him that leads him to a place where he steps up to Goliath, who we read and believe to be some kind of a giant. Um, who knows how big Goliath was, but if you know how the story ends, David kind of defeats him, and he defeats Goliath, and he becomes a legend in the place and land that he lived. And after defeating Goliath, David rises in popularity, which would make sense. You, you defeated one of the greatest enemies of your, your people, your nation. You defeated him, so you rise in popularity, and people start talking about him as being the next king. You know, a lot of times we talk about David as King David, but there was a day where he wasn't a king. He became one, and people want him to be king, and you could imagine that that would bother the current one. At that time, the king was Saul. At the time when everyone in the land wanted David to be king, there was a king. His name was Saul, and, and he gets really, really jealous, as some kings would, drives David out of town, tries to kill him, <laughs> and David is on the run for a few years. Imagine being on the run from a, quite a powerful person for a few years. Interesting thing to happen after you uh, just risen in popularity after defeating one of the biggest enemies that your nation has ever seen is that it just so happens that while everyone loves you, the most powerful person in the land doesn't like you at all. And so David's on the run. Eventually, uh, King Saul dies. David does become king. And here's another interesting chapter of King David's story is, is he eventually gets a married woman pregnant. And the woman he gets pregnant was not someone that he was married to. Are you with me this morning? Um, and he covers up his infidelity by having her husband killed at battle. He actually makes the decision as the commander-in-chief to put her husband in a position where he would surely die. Um, so that's an interesting chapter of someone's story, right? Um, time goes by and kind of gets redeemed from that moment. There's a prophet that really helps him get through that. And um, he's a king and he's leading well and he eventually has sons. And one of the sons ends up leading a rebellion against him. How fun, right? <laughs> I'm, I'm the king of this land, and my own son, who I would love to take my throne, wants to, wants to take it from me rather than be given it at some point. And, and his own son leads a rebellion against him. Now, we just looked at three bullet points that followed David killing Goliath. Uh, we looked at three moments where he has this incredible high and these three profound lows. And it would be worth noting what brought him through some of those lows. Because David's story ends with some of his journal being one of the most popular books in all of Scripture. So something's got to give. Something's got to give. We would beg the question, what got him through this? So that's the author. That's David. That's the who behind Psalm 23. I want to talk about when it was written. It's written by David. We just talked about David. When was it written? 
scholars, biblical scholars, would um, in, in majority unison agree that Psalm 23 was written by David later in life, perhaps retirement. We can use that language. Where David has been king, he's no longer king, and he's kind of at this moment where he's reflecting back on his life. He takes, he takes pen to paper, and, and he writes down Psalm 23. So without further ado, let's read it. Some of you might have it memorized. Psalm 23, I'd love to read this together. This is what David says after he lives that whole life. He's looking back on it at the end of his life. He says these words. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, my cup overflows. Surely your goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Psalm 23, one of the most well-known ones out there, is normally read in the context of providing hope in a time of sorrow. Nothing wrong with that. But I want us to understand the context in which David is originally writing down these words. For us today, Psalm 23 comes at us as a word of hope. For David, Psalm 23 is written as words of confession. For us, David, being able to look back on his life, he writes this beautiful poem, these words, this, this journal entry where he's able to say, yes, the Lord is my shepherd and I don't lack anything. But I would present to you this morning that when David is writing it, he's confessing. When David is writing it, he is confessing that God has been faithful even when he wasn't. He's confessing that God was meant to get any glory that his life ever produced. We see this in the words. David is confessing that God provided him the endurance to keep going. That's why we read Psalm 23, to get a little bit of hope when we feel like we're in the valley. But for David, it is a reflection. And the words that spring from his mind and his mouth is that of confession. That God was faithful when I wasn't. That God was faithful when times got hard. That God was there the entire time he was actually the one that was pro providing me the endurance to become King David. It was actually God the whole time. And so I think this is what Psalm 23 should be for us as well. It's not just a thing that we read. It should be a thing that we read when there are moments of sorrow because it still does provide hope. But church, let's allow this passage to be even more full than we've allowed it to be. And let's let it be a confession is that when I'm in the valley and when I put myself in the valley, if we can be honest, 
he was there the whole time. And that when I got, got up out of the valley, it was him that got me out. And he should therefore receive the glory for doing that in my life. So we take Psalm 23 and other passages like it and we craft what we call Reachway's third value, a spirit of resilience. We look at Psalm 23, we consider that David is writing this at the end of his life, everything that he went through, the highs and the lows, some really low lows. But what he's doing is he's reflecting on the fact that God was there the entire time, giving him resilience. And so we craft our third core values that we believe that living a life to the full requires us having a spirit of resilience. So I'd like to bring it up on the screen. And if you would, read this with me this morning. It's that we believe that God never gives up on us. We will not give up on ourselves, our family, our friends, or our community This is what it means to have a spirit of resilience. And let me say this, and I've only been in ministry for about five years now, but brothers and sisters, I have seen people make a decision to follow Christ, step into living a life to the fullest, and they're up here for a while. And it only takes one thing to tear down that tower. Because maybe they thought it was only supposed to be roses and milk and honey and butterflies and whatever. And they were never given an opportunity to get serious. So maybe Pastor Seth's being a downer today, but (laughs) I'm not doing my job if I don't talk about the other side of the coin. Um, Church, and I've learned this myself, is that a full life is not sustainable if someone is not willing to allow God to cultivate within them a spirit of resilience. I'm going to say that again. A full life is not sustainable if someone is not willing to allow God to cultivate within them a spirit of resilience. Once again, I'm not asking for anyone to to leave here, go to Barnes & Noble, go to the self-help section, and find a book that says 10 ways to build up courage and five ways to to just get all your goals completed. I'm not asking for that. I'm asking for you to open up yourselves to the Holy Spirit of God that dwells within you and dwells amidst this church and get your resilience from him because he's making himself present and known to us today. So if you're looking at David's shortcomings and thinking, yeah, I've got a past too. Okay. Keep going. If that isn't my sermon, I don't know what is. Keep going. Okay. You, you, you've got a friend or a family member that is just making bad decision after bad decision after bad decision after bad decision, and, and you're looking at them, and you're like, get your act together. Okay. Don't give up on them. God didn't give up on you. He didn't give up on David. If you seem like A full life is just too exhausting. Pastor Seth, I believe that the word would have us believe that everyone matters, but that can get exhausting. 
I believe I'm called to go all in with whatever I have to contribute to, to the thing at hand, but it's just too exhausting. Okay. Don't give up. God provides what we need. Part of the nuance of, of living in the kingdom of God is that we become part of a, of a group, a body of people. So here is Reachway Church, and, and Reachway Church is downstairs too, being represented in kids and other volunteers down there. And we're Reachway Church, and we're a church family, and we can bring our burdens to each other, but there's also a church universal around the world. There are churches down the street from here that are meeting right now. And we're a part of that family as well, that body of people as well. And sometimes when we say God is providing for us, the provision is actually coming from one of those people. If you've ever had a financial gift given to you at the right time, Unless a stork dropped it off, <laughs> you got it from a person. That's God providing. So why do I say this? Because, Seth, this isn't a, a sermon about God providing, even though it is. What I'm saying is, you are the provision that God is wanting to give someone else. Perhaps you've been on the receiving end of a blessing. Perhaps you've been on the receiving end of God providing for you. Praise the Lord. His promises are true, and that's what he does. But the reason that you can't give up is because on the backside of you not giving up is God providing for someone else. So we can't give up. I know the person that you're thinking of right now. Pastor Seth, if you only knew what this person is up to, if you only knew the past of this person, Years and years and years making their own decisions, living life their own way, and I just can't deal with it anymore. I get it. God gets it. And he's actually given us his spirit so that we don't have to give up if we would be willing to receive such a spirit if we would be willing to make such a decision, open ourselves up to such a life where when we feel at our weakest, God's power is made strongest. We begin to think and do things that we never imagined that we would ever think that we would do or think that we would think. <laughs> because when we enter into this new life, this full life, when we say each and every single day, it's time for something new. We have got to understand that it can get tough. Don't give up. We believe that God does not give up on us. So we will not give up on ourselves. You notice that that list starts with you. I find that it's easier for us to give up on ourselves than other people. And I've got a little bit of a problem with that. Not that other people aren't important, but are you not important? 
That's why I, I put it first on purpose. Not because it's a ranking order, but because we need to bring that to mind more often than I feel like we do. Don't give up on yourself. And yeah, don't give up on your family, your friends, people you don't even know yet. We are to have a spirit of resilience. 